Hello everybody, my name is Anne Teato and welcome to the Psychic Matters podcast, episode number 56. In this episode, psychical researcher Trisha Robertson shares some fascinating stories from her paranormal investigations over the past 36 years, meticulously examining so many different cases of paranormal phenomena in as scientific a manner as possible. And based on her evidence, she discusses the conclusions she has reached to date. I think you are going to be absolutely fascinated by Trisha's findings. But just before I introduce you to Trisha, I just want to say happy birthday to the Psychic Matters podcast. are going to be celebrating our second birthday on February 13th. So that is a great occasion for a lot of joy. These past couple of years, I have created 56 different episodes for you. We've had 46 and a half thousand downloads and Psychic Matters has been listened to in 98 different countries around the world and 3,800 cities and towns across the globe. I am so blessed to have had 85 star reviews to date and I've interviewed some of the most talented psychics, mediums, lightworkers and paranormal experts working in the field today. I'm delighted to say that Psychic Matters is still ranking as one of the top 1.5% most popular podcasts globally out of 2 million 776,456 shows that are out there. So there's a lot to celebrate. And of course, the show could not exist without you, the listener. And I want to thank you so much for your unending support, for some of the incredibly kind emails I've received telling me how much this show has meant to you or how much you've learned from it, which you otherwise wouldn't have had access to. And I want to thank all of us for coming together as a community of people who feel that there is a great need for this topic to be taken very, very seriously indeed. I'm sure that you'll agree with me that there are far too many people out there with psychic and mediumistic abilities who are struggling to understand what's happening to them or maybe they're experiencing fear or anxiety or even ridicule from those around them. And we all know how terrible that feels. And I still get ridiculed on, I would say, a weekly basis. And unfortunately, instead of being encouraged to embrace our gifts, we often ignore them or worse, because we're so desperate as human beings to fit in and be accepted in our friendship groups, our relationships and our families. We accept other people's opinion that somehow we are in the wrong. But With this podcast, I can help people step into their power, keep that front and center of their lives so that they can confidently advance their psychic and mediumistic knowing and be expertly guided by my guests and myself and therefore truly support people along their unique spiritual path. And I'm sure you have also found that it can be very difficult for those of us who want to undergo training to develop our clairvoyance in the Western world, even in this modern 21st century century. 
there are very few good teachers who uphold and advance psychic teaching. And many of my listeners live in countries where there is no access to tuition of any kind or they live in societies where psychic and mediumistic gifts are frowned upon. Hence, I created this podcast. And also, you know, years ago, I couldn't get any training either. I was on my own with two children to bring up and there was just no way I could get to a class. I had absolutely no money. I had no family close by to help and there was just no way that I could leave my children. And it's because of that experience, really, that I decided to create this podcast because I don't want anyone to go through that. Psychic Matters is a free resource for everyone and anyone with an interest in the subject matter. There is tuition on this podcast for people. There is access to the incredible information that we need to give us a firm foundation for our work. And you can learn how to develop your spiritual gifts from your own home. But you'll also investigate the teachings of experts across the globe to gain their wisdom, their advice and their spiritual wealth. So to conclude, I just want to thank all of my guests over the past couple of years who have so willingly given their time to you all and shared their incredible knowledge to enable you to grow. Please do go to Apple Podcasts and leave me a written review because those elevate the podcast up the charts and Psychic Matters becomes more visible to those who may really need it. And now settle back in your chairs, put in your earphones and be prepared to be blown away by the case studies of a paranormal researcher. Trisha Robertson, one of the UK's foremost psychical researchers, is with us in the studio today. Trisha, welcome to Psychic Matters. Thank you so much for your welcome, Anne. Uh, It's great of you to join us here. And I think probably the first question on people's lips is, what does a psychical researcher do? Oh, I'm so glad you asked me that question. A psychical researcher, I'll tell you how psychical research started and that'll explain it better. In the Victorian age, it was the age of spiritualism run riot, as you know. Now, uh, obviously, many, many claims were made about that. So a group of intellectuals and uh, uh, scientists, etc., got together and they formed the Society for Psychical Research. And psychical research is simply looking at the claims made basically by spiritualism, basically, or any other religion with life after death, to see if there's any truth in it at all. And that's psychical research examines phenomena in a scientific manner as possible. And the big the big thing words there are as possible. And that's what we do. And the true psychical researcher like myself, we look look at what's happening. You look at the experience, you evaluate the experience, you you see if there's any way at all you can test that, you can verify it, and in so doing, then you can come to some sort of conclusion. But if you've if you've ever read any of my three books, you will realize that the more you go into this, the more difficult it becomes. The, the answers become more and more elusive rather than a straightforward answer. But there is no doubt in my mind. One of the trouble with psychical research is there are so many topics. My baby, my topic is the proof or evidence that would point to survival of consciousness after physical death. And in my mind, after 36 years now, I am in no doubt that our physical bodies die, but we don't. The real you, the real 
essence of ourselves, we'll call it consciousness, you can call it spirit if you like, you can call it soul if you like, the name does not matter. But the evidence, it's a real you. It's not the Anne I'm looking at, it's what's inside you, is the real person. And that, with all your memories, with all your mannerisms, with all your knowledge, your sense of humour, your bad points, everything of that in your consciousness survives. And it's remembered once you get over to the other side, wherever the other side may be, because the other thing is no one in this world, and believe me, I mean, I, I've spoken to neuroscientists, neurosurgeons, uh, also so people to do with the brain, and no one, let no one tell you where consciousness lies, because no one can tell you. We'd only know it exists. If it didn't exist, I wouldn't be talking to you. And the form of consciousness when we die, no one can really tell you what that is, other than the reported things from near-death experience, for example, is when you get over to the other side, it's absolute bliss, absolute unconditional love, and your earthly worries fall off your shoulders. But I'm absolutely convinced after 36 years, through evidence and through some experience, that we our consciousness survives physical death. So, Tricia, your passion obviously is evidence for survival after consciousness. Yes. This is what we as mediums are always trying to prove to our recipients, the people who come to us. Where does the science lie? What has been proven? What can you tell us about that? Well, it's a bit, it's difficult. Nobody says, one of my taglines is nobody said this was easy, but You've got to look at what is evidence, and uh, a lot of people will be listening who are indeed mediumistic. But as you're increasing your knowledge as a medium, you have to be very careful as to what you consider to be evidence. And we know there are some very poor mediums. They might think, say that, oh, you you were unhappy last Christmas. You know, you missed someone in the spirit world who's dead. That kind of thing is of no value and of no evidential value at all. Before I go into something more interesting, very, very quickly, Professor Archie Roy from Glasgow University and myself, we did classes at Glasgow University at night time and we did a five-year study of mediumship's information. It's too complicated to explain. You would all fall asleep. But trust me, over five years, we did three sets of investigations, noting everything down. The science is in the noting. And I will say that to Everybody that has an experience or has a wonderful thing to tell, please write it down at the time with witnesses if possible. Because if you don't write it down, it never happened, whether you know it happened or not. But if you don't document it, and that's the word I'm trying to get around to, it's the documentation. Now, very quickly with what I said, and I won't bore you with the protocol, it would drive you to drink. But when we got, when we did this, the, all the experiments, we have to evaluate information and it, it's, it's, we use real people for this. It's not just a logarithm or something. And not only did we evaluate the information, for example, a medium might say, hey, I have your father here, his name was William, fine. Your father had a red beard and so on and so forth. And when, when we did the experiments, I always told the mediums they had to make a statement one statement at a time, not a big story, an absolute statement. And uh, there was one particular uh, notable one that I remember. There was lots, but the one I remember is uh, I'm, in, I'm in a different room with a medium to the audience and Professor Roy. We don't see the audience. We don't know who they are. And 
I'm just given a knock at the door to tell me the audience are ready. Now, the medium hasn't a clue. They've not seen the audience. Neither have I. And we just knock and I say, the first recipient is ready for a message. And the medium tunes in. Now, we didn't know if it would work. We had no clue if it was going to work. And the one that, the one that really stood out for me was when the medium said, whoever this person is, they live in a house called Christmas Cottage. And then, and remember, it's it, we're in cold Scotland here. And I'm, of course, I don't know if it's right or not. So I'm writing it down. And the next statement was, within this cottage in the garden, there's like a Buddhist shrine in the garden. Now, I mean, who, you couldn't easily guess that somebody lived at Christmas Cottage and there was a Buddhist shrine in the garden. Now, that's very, very good evidence. Now, when we come to evaluate these statements, what we do is, for example, say there's 40 people in the room. Now, how many people out of 40 are going to take, you were unhappy last Christmas? Have a guess. What would you think? 20, 25? Yes. Everybody is miserable at Christmas, let's be honest. (laughs) But to say this person lives in in a house called Christmas Cottage and there are Buddhist artifacts in the back garden. Well, there's really only one person out of 40 it's going to be taking that. And the rest of evaluation, I won't go into its statistics, but trust me, good mediums do provide good evidence, but it's all in the nature of the evidence. I presume everyone listening to this assumes that life goes on. Yes, it does. And then more and more questions arise as to what that's like. But for myself, as a psychical researcher, we all have sort of wow moments, you know, in, in our life. Most of it's quite boring, I'll be honest with you. For example, going out to a haunted places, you very rarely see anything at all. Going to private houses or people that have um, reported phenomenon, I would say you be very lucky to get 50% of the cases that there was actually anything in. But you have to you have to walk the hard yards and go in and investigate for yourself. And I may say the devil is in the detail and the devil is in, in the circumstance of everything. You have to take everything in circumstances because, for example, this is something I don't really, it's, it's not quite what we're on about, but it's important. A lot of people talk about orbs this weather, right? And, okay, I absolutely firmly believe that there are some orbs that are connected with spirit energy absolutely believe that. And uh, for various reasons, some friends of mine, oh, it was many years ago now, it was a, they would be probably be in their 50s and their families had flown the nest. So they were all alone on Hogmanay, you know, New Year's Eve one night. They decided to set up the video camera to, you know, to send messages to the family, etc. But after a couple of glasses of wine or beer or whatever they had, they decided themselves with a drink in them to, to, to test spirit. So the woman herself sat there and she said, I'm going to invite spirit to present orbs to us tonight. And then sure enough, and it was in real time, she sent me a copy of it and all these orbs began to appear around her. She had asked for them and they came. And then, mind you, they had a couple of drinks in them, but it doesn't matter. It happened. And then then she said, okay, now I'm asking Spirit to, to step back and the orbs disappeared. Now, that's not dust. That is within context of what she asked for. And I've seen uh, a few photographs of people uh, have sent me saying that this is what happened, you know, on a particular photo. 
and it, it, it was only significant because it was only relevant. There was an orb over the person who had lost someone recently to spirit. Now, I totally believe. Now, I'm not saying that orb is a person. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that the orb is spirit energy that they have sent. Like, I can send you a loving thought. And spirit seem to be able to send that energy, that essence of the energy to the person. The person's not wrapped up in a little ball in the middle of that. And uh, the, the, one of the other things, uh, Gordon Smith, the medium, and I, well, it was my investigation and it was a pub. And actually, I can't remember where it was. It was Bayliston, I think, just outside of Glasgow. And in this pub, many, many things had been reported the pub only had a downstairs, but there was an attic and they could be sitting in the pub and they would hear footsteps upstairs and they would hear dragging sounds like dragging bags along the floor or something. And that scared them to blazes. So anyway, we came in. I was I was a psychical researcher. I took Gordon Sw Smith with me and there was a team and I can't remember if it was BBC or STV. I can't remember. It was one of them anyway. So we... Um, we Julie went up. I, I took. I took another. I took another lad from the Scottish Society for Psychical Research with me. David was a sound kind of a sound man. He was recording temperatures and things. So we climbed this ladder. Now don't laugh. A ladder. I had to climb this ladder into a loft, which was fortunate that I had on trousers because the team below were taking photos from below. So anyway, we got into this attic and oh, and it was huge, and half the floorboards were missing. It was really dangerous. So anyway, Gordon and I are upstairs, and although I'm not, I'm not a medium. I'll stress that, but I do get, do get feelings. I do feel temperature change, things like that. But it's good that I'm not a medium because that that keeps me out of it. Anyway, we're going about the the attic. David's taking his temperature sensors and all of that, and uh, Gordon was at the other end of the room, and he shout, he shouted to me. Now I think it was BBC. They were filming. And Gordon's at one side of the room and Gordon said to me, Trisha, come over here. He said, there's something, there's something here. There's a, there was a fireplace here or something at one time. So anyway, I'm stepping over the floorboards as they were and the holes to get to Gordon. And Gordon suddenly went, he put his hand up and he went, oh my goodness. He said, there's a huge orb just appeared there. Now to our eyes, my eyes and the men from the BBC, we could not see a thing. And then the BBC, uh, the cameraman shouted, come here quickly, Tricia, come here. And of course, the digital cameras. The, so I ran around to see, they've got a screen. And on the screen where Gordon said, look, there's a fantastic orb here. On the screen was a huge thing, like a moon on the camera, exactly where Gordon held his hand. So orbs are real. They are energy. They absolutely are. And that's obvious that somebody's trying to tell you that the energy is there. So that's all I'll say about orbs. So every single thing of this is in context. Now, for example, another one that was in context was I took Professor Roy. Now, it's outside of Glasgow. I think it was Motherwell, actually, which is outside Glasgow, where a young couple had been... Um, complaining. All we know is they phone up and they say, we think we've got something in the house. Now, Archie had a great sense of humour too. And Archie always called us Rentacle or, or Mulder and Scully or or, or a Scullery and Mildew. You know, he always had a good laugh. We were the, we were the last resort that people would call in. In fact, called us Rentacle as well. They've been to the church. They've been to various people 
nothing happens. So for some reason, they find us. I don't know why they find us. So Archie and I trotted along. Well, I drove Archie to this particular house. Now, it was a brand new house built on a new private housing estate. And of course, we, we went in knowing absolutely nothing. So when we got in there, the story was, and the story you hear at the beginning is not necessarily the right story. We were told that there's a six-month-old baby. Now, this house was strange because inside the lounge was a staircase going upstairs. I know that sounds weird, but it was. It was a solid staircase going upstairs. The baby's pram would often be put at the foot of the stair. But when the baby got to six months or so, it would look up the stair and smile at something, a big grin. And it, it, freaked, the, it freaked them out, but they didn't think too much about that. They also noticed that some things were being moved in the house, but they didn't really want to know about that either. They kind of said, no, no, that didn't really happen. And then one night, the pièce de résistance, one night they were sitting either side of the fireplace. Now, in the corner of this lounge where there was no windows, no draft, no, nothing like that. Because when babies come, they get lots of toys that they don't need, but the fathers do. And in this corner, there was a whole pile of toys, wind-up cars, or a whole pile of, of toys all together. And in the middle of this was a helium balloon, which was very obvious going up near the ceiling. And they were sitting there watching the television, and suddenly they heard this noise. It was like... And they looked over at the corner of the toys, and this car suddenly appeared, it came out across the wooden flooring, right past the two of them on the chair and went to the other side of the room. Well, they just looked at each other. And then a second or two later, they had another <coughs> where a toy was appeared to be winding itself up and another toy came right along the wooden floor uh, past the two of them. Well, they looked at each other trying to pretend it didn't happen. And then they noticed the helium balloon. It was in a very long string. And the helium balloon, no draft, no wind, I've checked it all. Uh, the balloon started to go around in a circle like that, slowly at first. And then it picked up speed and got, and the, 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 the description of the circle got faster and faster and faster. And every time it described a revolution, there was a blue light pulsated at the top of it so it was like boom light 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 and of course they just looked at looked at that and looked at each other now the man was about six foot two and a very burly chap and he was terrified he just ran upstairs to his bed and pulled the covers over his head as men often do so this left them in a big predicament they didn't know what to do and of course everybody thinks it's something evil they all think it's evil you know which is not of course so then that's when we, Lorraine took ill, the Mulder and Scully were, were actually called in. So anyway, when I, when we went into the house, I noticed the girl was very tiny. She was about five feet, very slim, and she'd had this baby six months ago. She was very pale and quite sad looking, actually. Anyway, a lot of psychical research is to, not us talking, but listening to what the people are actually saying. You let them talk. They actually give you the clues themselves as to what's going on. Anyway, it became obvious that this girl's mother had died before the baby was born. And she was young. The girl was only about 24. So the mum must have been young. So the mum had died six months before the baby was born. So a uh, click in Trisha's mind, the mother has never seen this baby. Okay, keep that one to myself for the moment. So um, 
let them talk a while. And then I said, um, then the man was telling us about a particular vase that was moved in the hallway. And and the, I said, now, what about this vase that was uh, in the hallway? And I and I and I had I had offered them the suggestion that maybe, just maybe, the girl's mother was around in context, just letting them know that she was there and she knew about the baby. Now the man's first words to me were, "Can you not make the old bitch go away?" Which didn't sit too well with the girl. And I kind of, yeah, yeah you're making a face. Yeah, I kind of my, ig- my mouth I, open there. I know, <laughs> and I kind of ignored it. <laughs> and uh, I said, "Well," and then then he said, "Oh." Wait a minute," he said. "That vase that keeps getting moved. We go out. There's nobody else in the house. The vase that keeps moving is the vase that she bought us." And I kind of went, "Da da," you know. Well, it's I, I always it's a possibility then. In fact, it's becoming more and more probable that the person that's moving the vase and the other things is indeed your mother-in-law. But she means no harm about about it at all. She just wants to let. I can't remember the girl's name. She just wants to let your wife know that she knows about the baby. She's very happy. And the the man said, can you not make her go away? I said, well, look at your wife's face. And now by that time, she was very pale. But by that time, when she realized it might be her mother, she got color in her cheeks and she was smiling. She was a different girl altogether. And I said, look at your wife's face. I said, look how happy she is. The fact that she knows now her mother knows about the baby and has seen the baby. And I said, but as time goes on, if she does become, keep, I didn't say a nuisance, if she does keep coming back, I said, I could, we're not mediums, I could bring someone with me who could talk to her and perhaps uh, persuade her to go. I said, but for now, I said, I would leave it the way it is. There's nothing evil here, nothing wrong whatsoever. So the girl, was, she was, she was smiling, but she was absolutely delighted. And I said, now, you've got my number. I said, we always say to people, you can phone me anytime if there's a problem or if this doesn't resolve itself. Now, that you you recognize, you acknowledge that she knows what's going on and never had another thing from them. So you see, that's all context. Nothing else happened. And in a psychical researcher's world, that is indeed proof. I can give you a very quick funny one before I go into a, a more detailed one. Many a funny one. Can I ask, how does our unconsciousness move things? God knows. <laughs> no idea whatsoever. No one can answer that. Okay. Uh, I do know that uh, while we're here, now, in my third book, I do speak a bit about this and I speak about, now, Yuri Geller, everybody laughs at Yuri Geller, but trust me, Yuri Geller can move things with his mind. He can. And all the facts and figures, in fact, he was thoroughly tested in laboratories. It's all there in the third book by Professor Hasted, who was fastidious. And he didn't like Yuri Geller to start with. And he actually didn't like him when he was finished. But he said, no matter how much of a showman that Yuri Geller is, he more or less said, and he does talk rubbish at times. He didn't quite say that. He said, there is absolutely no scientific doubt that by his own mental processes, Yuri Geller can move things. But you'd have to read the whole chapter in, in the third book. But you cannot doubt it because it's there in black and white where people actually didn't like him and didn't want it to be true. It, we don't know. And how, how spirit can actually do that, I, nobody knows. We only know that they can. 
you know, we're, I mean, you and I don't know the inside workings of this computer we're working at, but we know what it does. Yeah. And, that's, and I was going to say earlier on, in psychical research and in our world, there's two methods of proof. There's proof like mathematical proof. If you take two apples and add another two apples, you're going to have four apples. That's never going to change. But we also have the greater proof of as in a court of law. People have in the past have had their lives taken because the burden of proof is such that it's proven that they maybe murdered someone. And psychical research is like that. It's proof as in a court of law. If what other reason could there be for the next account I'm going to give you? It, because it's these, and this is my particular big wow moment is the one I'm going to tell you. Probably like yourself and even mediums listening, there must be times, and if you don't do this, you're not doing it right. There are times in our lives where we, we think we know what we know. And then you have to stop every so often and say, now, what do I really know? What can I really hang my hat on? What can I truly, I won't say believe, because belief doesn't come into it. And then you reevaluate what you've seen, what you've done, everybody, everything. And then you th- then you go back and you remember something. And you go, oh, yeah, well, of course, that happened. And that can't be explained in any other way whatsoever. So the proof has to be uh, as in a court of law, as an observational like astronomy, where they observe things in the sky, they observe the motions, and only through observation can they then make a, some kind of theory. And that's all we can do. We can we can never put in a bottle psychical research because it doesn't necessarily mean to be the same for everyone. For example, in our five-year work, I think I used 16 mediums, Scotland and England, actually, over that time. But I only used mediums that I knew were, if not reasonably good, or very good. If I had used mediums who were not good, then our our figures would not have been what they were. But why am I going to use poor mediums? I'm going to use poor mediums that have got a chance. I mean, we didn't know for the work. And on the medium side, every medium worked. I mean, we, we don't get paid or anything like that. Everybody worked for absolute nothing. We all did it out of love of the truth, looking for evidence for survival. Because my own raison d'etre, as it were, and why I wrote the books after giving lectures and had all the all this information and all the experience, I actually wrote my first book in self-defense because Archie Roy died in 2012. And I thought, you know, if I don't put this down in a book, that would be a sin for me not to do that. Because there are so many people walking about the street that think, when, when their loved ones die, they're never going to see them or hear from them again. And it's these people, the man in the street, the woman in the street, that could be brokenhearted, but perhaps helped by some of the things I've put in the book. That is the reason I wrote the first book. And I realised there's so much more material that I wrote the second book and so on. But that's me. I'm not going to do any more. I've said my piece. I've given the evidential stuff. Uh, and... Of course, a lot of it's done in humour, although people get hold of me and I don't know how they get me. And I know that mediums do a fantastic job uh, with helping people with bereavement. But I even had one woman, uh, who I'm trying to think, be what, what, maybe 14 years ago, maybe now, I was in a flat on my own. I had been divorced and I got a call from somebody. God knows how she got my number. And this woman said, it's my son's funeral tomorrow. And after the funeral, I'm going to join him, meaning she was going to kill herself. And of course, I, I'm just answering a phone in my hallway, you know. And the 
uh, of course, it, your, your mind kicks in. And I said, oh, no, you're not going to be doing that. And she said, why not? I said, because if – I'm making this up, by the way. And I said, because if you go before your time, you may not necessarily meet your son. I only said that to make her stop and think. And I thought, now, what can I do? Why are you phoning me? And I thought – so I'm just talking to her. And I said, look, I can't help you really with that. But if you if you give me your, give me your number – at that time, you didn't have call or display. I said, if you give me your number, I will – get hold of a medium and I will get them to phone you back. Now, I didn't have a clue who I was going to phone, but there's a lovely medium in Fife called Helen Cuthel, who's very, very genuine, very quiet, doesn't use a computer, very old-worldy, very, very nice. And I thought, God, I don't know if I can get hold of her or not. So I phoned the house and she answered. And I'm saying, hello, Helen. And she's having this, hello, Trisha, how are you? I went, no, Helen, this is important. A woman's just phoned me. She said she's going to kill herself after her son's funeral tomorrow. I said, could you phone her back? She said, oh, yes, that, no problem. Yes, that's fine. I'll, that's fine, Trisha. So anyway, she phoned the woman back and she was an hour later, pardon me, my phone rang and it was Helen. And she said, oh, yes, we got on fine. And she's, and of course, I said, look, Helen, stop what you're telling me. Her husband was in the room. I said, go and write, go and get a piece of paper or a pen or a pad and write down exactly what's in your mind that you told this woman. Write it down now. Oh, I don't think I can remember. Her husband says, I remember. So anyway, I said, please do it now. Just trust me. Go and write down everything you've said there. So that was fine. She came off and I phoned the woman back. How did you go on with Helen? Oh, lovely. She, she, she told me, and I said, look, don't tell me now what Helen told you. I want you to go right now and write down what Helen told you. And uh, this is my address. I never give people my address. And I said, and please, I said, this will help other people tremendously if you do this. And she was fine. The woman by that time wasn't talking about committing suicide. And anyway, they both did. Helen wrote it from her place in Fife. The lady down in England uh, got the letters and I com you know, com compared the two things together. I think it's in the second book, I'm not sure. And it's all the details there she gave. Helen gave, you know, the son's name. There was going to be two black horses at the funeral. What their names were would be drawing the, 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 you know, the hairs with the body in it. Oh, also, all sorts of things like, the, uh, the, I can't remember the boy's name. It doesn't matter. Uh, he's telling me that his that his brother has he stole his stole his trainers. He said he took the trainers off that I had on and put his old trainers back on me in the in, you know in the coffin because he thought the trainers were too good. I mean, you can't make that up. Nobody knows that. And so I can't remember how many pieces of information. And so it went on, and every single thing that could be verified one by the other. And things that were going to happen the next day, for example, were absolutely correct. Now, you can't make that up. That was that was a, a good one. But my own uh, wow moment, that wasn't a wow moment for me because I had to wait and there's a certain amount of evaluation in that. But my own wow moment was, it was about 1997, a woman approached me. It was in Glasgow Association of Spiritualists because I like to keep an eye on the mediums. She came up to me and she said, could I speak to you? And I said, certainly. So she spoke to me in the tea room and she said, my daughter was murdered uh, six months ago. 
and the police are no no way near finding out you know what's happened about it at all and and of course this woman doesn't live in the same place as me and I said well now I knew she wanted me to get a reading for with a medium for her but it was too early she was too raw and I thought no I don't think that's appropriate I said well what to do is I said I'll meet you again. We made a time for her to meet again in the tea room. And I said, bring me an envelope with something that belongs to your girl. And, you know, give it to me. Seal the envelope. Don't want to see it. Give it to me. And I will take it to some mediums and we'll see if they can get anything about your daughter. So that's what happened. I can't remember the actual days now. Anyway, I met her another time and she gave me this envelope. And I said, no, I can't promise anything. But I will take it to mediums and we'll see if we can get anything that could help you because that's basically I like to help people too as I'm sure you do if you can you don't give them false hope but you like to help them when where and when you can so that's what happened I can't remember the actual day I presume she maybe met me on a Sunday I don't know anyway so I started the sort of next day and I have no clue what's in this envelope it was lumpy it certainly wasn't a watch and it certainly wasn't a ring it was just lumpy you touched it and it was all don't know what it was, lumpy. So anyway, I took it to one medium that I know, and he made a couple of statements about it, but not very much at all. In fact, all the mediums were men. That was just by chance. And then I took it to another medium, and he said, we well, said, oh, I don't like this. He said, this is seedy. This is seedy. Some, somebody was murdered. And, of course, I'm just saying nothing. And he said, there's a taxi involved in this. There's a taxi, and there's a, there's a green a Vauxhall, something to do with that as well. But I don't like it, I don't like it. And he wouldn't go on with it. So I took it to a medium that I know very, very well. And I'm able to go into their home, you know, just knock the door and go in. And I thought, well, I'm not getting anywhere with this. So I moved, went in, I presume it was about maybe a Wednesday or something like that. So I drove up in my car, knocked the door, opened the cell, come in, Trisha, come in. And the medium was sitting at a, a, a large dining table with a computer in one, you know, on the table and a cigarette in the other hand. And he, he looked at me, sort of, no, oh, hi, nice to see you. And I said, look, now I never, I never ask mediums for anything. I have never asked any of the mediums I know for a reading ever, and I never will because that's not professional. So I plonked this envelope down on the table, and I said to him, can you put your hand in that and tell me if you get anything? And he looked at me with cigarette in hand disdainfully and said, do I have to? And I went, yes. Now, he would know me well enough to know I wouldn't ask if it wasn't important because I'm, I'm clueless at this time. I haven't a clue what's going on. So, of course, I've got my trusty notepad and my trusty tape recorder. So, grudgingly, he put out the cigarette and put his hand on the envelope. And immediately, when I say immediately, I mean immediately. There wasn't a, a millisecond between putting the hand on that. And he said, I've got a girl here that was murdered. And immediately became animated. And I just went, mm, in snowed. Mm-hmm. So writing it down, got a girl that was murdered. She's got medium, medium length brown hair. Well, of course, I don't know. So, I, so I'm writing it down. And as it went on, it was like a three-way conversation. She's telling me that her boyfriend, and she named a name I'm not going to say, her boyfriend was the first to know that she was murdered, and he phoned her mother, because I'm writing it all down. She's telling me she's got uh, tattoos over her left breast, 
and describe the two ta tattoos, intertwined hearts and the colours. I'm writing it all down. And she's got other tattoos behind her right shoulder in the form of a rose and the colours and all of that. She's telling me she lived in a flat, one up on the right-hand side, and she lived in a cul-de-sac. I'm writing it all down. And then came this, oh, wow, statement for me. Now, I've never, ever known anyone who's ever been in jail anywhere at all. And he said to me, she's telling me she was in Contonville prison when she was younger. And I'm thinking, what? I'm thinking, what? I'm not saying anything. I'm thinking, oh, my God, that's either got to be right or it's wrong. There's no in between. She was in Contonville prison when she was young. That was a kind of literally my whole inside went, wow. And she's telling me that she terminated a pregnancy when she, she was younger. I'm trying to remember some of the other things uh, she's, he said. Oh, yeah. She's, she, and it was like three-way conversation. He's, and he's looking up. She's telling me that the newspaper reports of her death, uh, the clothes she was wearing were all wrong. And she, she said what the paper said. And then she said what the correct clothes were. I can't remember what they were, but they're all, I think it's in book one or book two. I'm not sure. Anyway, I've got it all written down exactly, as I say, statement after statement after statement individually. And then she gave she gave a, a wee bit detail about her murder, of which I wrote down. And she gave a description. She said it was two men that murdered her, not one, and a wee bit about the men, but nothing too specific about them. I'm sure there's something else to remember that. Oh, yeah, she misses her three cats. Now, how many people have got three cats? Not a lot. So anyway... I just thanked him very much. We had a cup of tea. And of course, I don't know if it's right. He doesn't know if it's right. Not a clue. So, well, that's, that, was, that was one. And he said, she's telling me that as we speak, my mother has moved my photograph from the top of the fireplace to the top of the television. That was before the thin televisions we've got now. So I, once again, I'm writing it down. Don't know any different. That was fine. So two days later, I had the mother's phone number kind of come and see you in her house this time. I'd never been there. So I went along to see the mother and she made a cup of tea. And as soon as I walked in, I saw a photograph of a girl on the television. And I said, oh, is this your daughter here? She said, yes, I just moved her photograph there two days ago. And I thought, okay, that's exactly what the medium said, but I never said anything. So I said, now I'm going to read some statements to you that I just said mediums have made. And I want you to tell me if they're right or if they're wrong. There's no in-between. They're either totally correct or they're wrong. There's no, oh, well, maybe it was this, maybe it was that, because that's the kind of person I am. Having done maths and physics, it's, I mean, I've got no imagination whatsoever. So anyway, I read out everything I had. There was, there was 29 pieces of in information there. I didn't read out the bit about her terminating a pregnancy because I thought you might not have known and your daughter's been murdered. I didn't give her a description of it was two men that murdered her. I didn't give her the description of how she was murdered. I thought, no, not doing that. I possibly should have, but there was no proof in that. So I withheld it. I only read out two, 22 pieces of information. Every single thing I've told you, every single bit of it was 100% correct. 22 out of 22 even to, to uh, three cats, a cul-de-sac, tattoos in Quantonville prison. I thought, oh, my God. Now, that was kind of my wow moment. But I did sort of the honourable thing when I did the statistics. Now, some people, if they don't 
like figures can fudge them a bit by putting the figures they don't like. They call it a file drawer system. But I included the 29 statements in my calculations. But even, even counting those other seven pieces of information as wrong, just counting them wrong, the odds against chance of the medium talking to themselves uh, was, were astronomical. I can't remember, 10 to the minus 6, something like that, which is astronomical. There's no way that that medium could have given me that information by chance. Absolutely and totally, absolutely no way whatsoever. So that constitutes evidence for me. And I know that is exactly the way it happened and that that I hang on to. The medium, of course, was uh, is a very, very, very good medium, of course. And he was neither up nor down. He went, okay, let's have a cup of tea now. That's but, amazing. I mean, that's a brilliant story. And, and what was in the envelope that he had? Well, found? I nearly cried. We didn't open the envelope. I'm a, I'm a softie underneath. I really, I found it so touching. But before I go on to that bit and before I cry, um, the things to know, to know about that, the girl said, my mother has moved my photograph today from the top of the fireplace to the top of the television. My boyfriend was the first to know I was dead. He phoned my mother. So the consciousness, the energy, the intelligence knew of things that happened after she had died. So even if it was some sort of a cash record of your life, that doesn't account for a person knowing things that had happened. I mean, and it's so personal, so emotional. There's not a way in hell's chance that that's coming from some sort of digital library. It was emotional. It was to do with the person. And all of this, and your mediums will all agree, emotion is a necessity when you're doing a, a mediumship work or even what I do. Back to the envelope I don't want to talk about. And I said to the mother, what, what was in the envelope? And, you know, it was rubbish. It was in it. Absolute rubbish of things from when she was a wee girl, like broken fences from a toy thing. And I nearly cried. I thought, oh, my God. Of course, the thing doesn't matter. It's the energy. It's the essence of what's there. It was just rubbish that was in it. Trivia. And yet how important that was within get, giving that mother that information. That's a beautiful story, and that's brilliant yeah. evidence. That's really it, uh, that's evidence. That's evidence. Yeah. So, what do you think, uh, Tricia? Is you spoke earlier about footsteps, dragging sounds, things like that. Well, what yeah. Makes those. What creates that? Well, that's completely different. Again, that particular. We'll go back to the same one in that pub. The medium said to me that I know there's no spirit here. It's res- it's energy. It's energy that builds itself up. Once again, we don't know, but he said there's nobody here doing that. It just, it, I think there was a lot of jiggery pokering on from the past in that, I think, you know, many, many years ago. So it's just what some people would call residual energy. I hate that term, but you know what I mean? Yeah. There's, a thing, there's a thing called stone tape theory. Now, it is a theory that when anything happens of any emotional importance, that energy of the thing that happened is absorbed into the very fabric of the house or wherever it, it is. It could be a battlefield, but the energy there, the neg- I talk about that in the third book, the energy of what happened there seems to be maintained. And it's actually not, it's actually not even, it's in the time and space. And it's only people who are sensitive that can, they can see it like a video. It's like their minds replaying the video of what happened in that space. But how that works, 
No idea at all. Quick funny one before I go any further and I forget it. Many years ago, the, the, the investigator Morris Gross down in London, and he was a very, I, I loved him to bits. He was a grumpy little man. And he, he, was, he was trying not to prove that survival worked. And uh, Morris went into this haunted building. I don't know what it was. So Morris being Morris went in, left the tape recorder, you know, the old fashioned tape recorder with them. You press the button and he left a message on it. He let it run and he said, is there anybody there? And he went away and he came back the next morning, let himself in. Nobody had been in. So he rewound the tape and played it. And what he heard was himself saying, is there anybody there? And then silence. And a voice said, no. (laughs) (laughs) So work that one out. (laughs) Very, very interesting. What what can you tell us about uh, electronic voice phenomena that's been proven, things like that, other other examples? This sounds like a third book launch, but you're picking all the subjects that are in my third book, actually. Yes, if you look at, I give a wee bit, not the history, boring, but who did what and so on and how it progressed. Yes, there's there's no doubt in my mind that there is genuine electronic voice phenomena. And many people claim to get connections, even on the telephone, the phone can ring and it could be somebody that's passed over. Some people say they get things on the computer. And at the moment, I have someone I know loosely in, in Australia and they're using two smartphones and I don't, I'm not quite sure how they do it. And it's in the early stage that they say that using two smartphones, they can almost get voices from spirit people by order of in order. And so I'm looking forward to hearing that, how that goes. How um, does that work with two smartphones? No idea, but I'm hoping that he's going to tell me quite soon. I don't know, but they seem to use two phones. I don't know how they do that. And they say they can hear quite clearly, but I'm waiting on the evidence that this man seems very credible, but uh, that seems to be. And of course, some people are trying to develop what they call a soul phone, but that I'm not particularly convinced of. But people like Arabella Cordoza in Portugal, she was a charge de fer for Portugal, a very clever lady, and she had she started a magazine. I can't remember the name of it now. I think it's called the ITC Journal, and she's been there. She's been out. She's listened, and I see I've in. The third book, it's not, not a sales pitch. There's some very, very good evidence for at least some of it being true. And that's the whole problem with the paranormal and what we do. There are gold nuggets and there is absolute nonsense. And the man in the street doesn't know who to believe. And that is the problem. I'm fighting in the middle from both sides, trying to put it together. And people are listening. You can only make up your own mind. Having read the evidence... Once you've read the evidence, you make up your own mind if that's enough for you. I can't tell anyone what to do, what to think, but I can provide you with the tools for you to think yourself. If somebody wanted to try EVP, electronic voice phenomena, that's listening to this podcast, could they simply put a voice recorder on on their telephone and leave it in a room? Absolutely. Absolutely spot on. It does. Everybody makes things difficult. What I tend to do, as I say, some people in psychical research, they have all these fancy ideas and they have theories and they, they use letters for things, you know, like ABC, whatever, and nobody knows what they're talking about. I keep it simple. 
I'm a simple person. I'm a simple maths and physics teacher. And let, uh, let's look for the evidence. Cut away all the, the things that are unnecessary. I nearly swore there. You to leave a tap running for white noise effect or anything you like that. You can do that. Yeah, you can do that. You can, all you can do is try. You could leave a tap on. I don't think I'd leave a tap on all night, mind you, and do yeah. that. But they can certainly try it with any form of recording device that they have. Yes. And then, of course, you've got the likes of the wonderful Leslie Flint, Voices in the Dark, who was a, a medium that could produce voices from spirit people. But this is the exciting thing. I love it. I just love it, psychical research. I mean, Leslie Flint, people try to knock Leslie Flint they're lying. Leslie Flint was absolutely genuine. Once again, I think it's in the first book, Leslie Flint. And if you read his book, Voices in the Dark, the man himself was poorly educated through no fault of his own, very genuine, great sense of humour. And the one thing I've found out about doing what we do, you have to have a sense of humour. If you're too uptight, forget it. It won't work. But yeah, if you have a sense of humour and a feet in the ground and a stable mind, and of course, you do realize some people who are maybe mentally not sound, shall we say, try to dabble in this, and it's not a good idea. Absolutely not a good idea. And, and I don't know how we stop that. And Tricia, what can you tell us about? We hear so much about earthbound spirits. There do are. They exist? Yeah. Is there yeah. such a thing? Yeah. How does that happen? Once again, in all of this, there's no one answer for one question. What did I say earlier on? Context, circumstances. Once again, I think it might be book three. I seem to be plugging this book. I have got a tape of three three airmen who their plane crashed. Oh, I think it, we think it must have been in the seventies. Haven't got an exact year for it. Now it's in the north of England. I want to say it's near the top, the Gensvanel, but I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, it's in the north of England. It was an airfield during the Second World War, and they used it for a while afterwards, and then they get rid of it. And the land, all massive land, was bought by the construction industry, training something or other, builders or something like that. And it was these guys you see with up the big ladders with all the heavy machinery, you know, the big burly guys with hard hats. It was a training ground for training these guys as builders, you know, master builders. So you're not talking about airy-fairy people. You're talking about guys with their feet on the ground. So what they did was the, the, the company, they turned in one of the hangers into a squash court. So it would be, be more than one. And that was great to begin with. Then they discovered that nobody was using the squash courts. So they made inquiry quietly. And they discovered that the men, these big men didn't like going into squash courts because there's a funny feeling in it. They just felt eerie in it. So this is England we're talking about. So the Church of England are absolutely great. They've got a diocese for healing, they call it, but they they investigate things like that. They know that people survive. So this Church of England minister came and he brought his wife, bizarrely, who was a medium. So you've got a Church of England minister whose wife is a medium and she's a trans medium. Then they had two people there, one recording, and they had another person there as a witness. They just went in on their own. Actually, I think, I think I've told you a lie. I think the minister went there on his own to begin with. And he looked around and he said, oh, there's, there's something here. And then they made another appointment and they brought the minister, the wife that was medium, somebody with a sound and another person just as a witness. So 
I've got the tape of that and it's absolutely amazing. It would let your hair actually curl. I'll give you a quick thing on it, but hearing it is is the only thing that really does it for you. So they go in, you can hear the wife breathing and it's not fake. You can hear her breathing getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And the minister saying to the air, is there anyone here in trouble? How can we help you? And then slowly and gradually, a voice comes through the wife. It's just a shaky voice. It's like, you know, you can't make it. And the minister said, what is your name? And it's very, very shaky. It's as if he's called, my name is Dusty, Dusty Miller. And he said, okay. He said, is there anyone there with you? And then slowly, this is very slowly, you get the names Jerry Arnold and Pat, well, I can't remember his other name, but say it's Pat Garrity, it's not, but it's Pat something. Pat Sullivan, Pat Sullivan, Jerry Arnold and Dusty, eh, Dusty Miller. So we said, how can we help you? Where do you think you are? Our plane crashed, our plane crashed. And are you cold? Yes, yes, we're cold, cold, cold. Anyway, the minister said in a very strong, wonderful, wonderful voice, he said, do you realize you have died? You have died at this spot? No, no, no. He said, look, we, we will help you. We will try to help you. So the woman's bringing through voices, et cetera, et cetera. And the minister's kind of talking to himself. And he said, now, how can I help you? He said, I want you to look up. And he said, Dusty, Pat, Jerry, I want you all to look up and see if you see any point of light above you. And he said, no, no, no. He said, now, look again, the smallest point of light, just look, see if you see anything. And eventually one of them says, oh, yes, there's a small point of light. He said, well, draw yourself towards that light. Go towards it. And it sounds cliche. And draw yourself towards the light. When you get towards that light, someone will be there to help you. Because you, you have died, you shouldn't be here any anymore. And it talks through and talks through and talks through. And eventually, there's a difference, even listening to it, there's a difference in the atmosphere. And then, for me, the pièce de résistance, this different voice came through the medium. Oh, my God. It was what I call a golden voice. It was, it was like some huge spiritual being. And the voice said, we thank you. It was a man's voice. We thank you for all the help you have given here today. The minister said to the voice, and are they all right? And the voice thought for a minute, and he said very carefully, at this time they are being helped. And oh my God, the atmosphere, you could feel the hairs tingling, you know, on the back of your head. And the, the minister was already practical about it. And now they didn't tell the men, the workers, they were doing this. Obviously, these are big, hard guys working machinery. And then after that, they, they began to notice gradually they came back. And one by one, the squash courts. So the atmosphere was totally different. And then after that, they did begin to use the squash courts. But they never told the men. Of course, they had done. Do, please do not use the word exorcism. I hate it. It's not even true. They managed to get these men who'd been stuck for 30 years. They'd been stuck. In, but you see, space and time are not the same in spirit world as they are here. Because you go to sleep at night, you waken up, you don't know if you've slept for two hours, eight hours or 10 hours. And it's like that seemingly. You just, you, your consciousness is just exists, but you're not aware of it. 
I, same as in sleep. You don't know if you're waking up, if it's two o'clock, four o'clock, or if you've slept for eight hours. And you can't, none of us can tell us, tell anybody where we've been during sleep. And I believe it's like that. It's not painful. It's just, uh, it's just something we can don't, don't un- again, don't understand. There's so a many very, things. Very interesting, fascinating story. And, but it makes me think, well, why don't the spirit world know? Because they're ready to greet us on the <coughs> other side. Why, why, where were they? I think I can give you an idea on that. Right. And I, I think I talk about it in the first book. People can be earthbound because of the trauma. And if you want to put it like that, they're here somewhere in different consciousness, but they don't look up. They look, they're looking down. In fact, the minister said that. He said, don't look down. Do not look down to where you have your trauma. He said, look up, look up. So they, their brain can't conceive because it was the plane crashed there. Such a trauma that they looked down and be, between them all or among them all, they held them. They, they didn't mean to but they held themselves down. Spirit world, you know, do you remember, I I don't know it, of course, reading about the old medium Doris Stokes many, many years ago. And I read that about 40 years ago. And it stuck in my mind. Doris Stokes' husband was very, very, very ill. And she was by his bed all the time, of course. And he was really, really nearly on the way out. So she sat at the side of the bed and she knelt and she prayed. She prayed for healing and she prayed for the spirit world. Now, you think she would know being a medium. She prayed for the spirit world to come, please come and give him healing. And just as she said it or thought it, a blue light came in the window. Pale blue came in, circled the husband for a while, not long, went out again. And the husband wakened up. And he was a lot better. And Doris Stokes said to the spirit world, to the air, she said, why did you not do that sooner? And the answer was, you never asked. See, it's a bit, I believe they're not allowed to interfere unless you request it. So and going back, going back to the three men and people, so you can be stuck because you don't know you're dead and you're scared and the energy is holding you down to earth energy. You can be earthbound because you choose to be earthbound. There are many accounts of, say, first wives who have died. They know they know they're dead, but they're not going to move on because they don't want the second wife to find where she's hidden her money or her jewelry. And that happens. They hold themselves down, and they can also hold themselves down if you're left and you're really broken hearted, and they want to stay there to try, like like the mother moving the thing and moving the toys. She's holding herself down just to let them know they're okay. And most people just want to let you know there's always something when somebody dies. They give you a signal of some kind. With me, it's all electric because I'm not a medium. I always get electrical phenomena, inexplicable electrical phenomena. It's taken me years to realize, okay, well, that's Carol or that's so-and-so. And and that's they want you to know that they're okay. And that's a sign I'm okay. And then you audibly say, all right, oh, that's that's good. You know, go go on your journey. And so you can be held down because you don't know you're dead. You can hold yourself earthbound uh, because uh, you want to. Uh, you can be held earthbound through sadness or feeling you've not done your job properly. There's one of those in one of the books. I can't remember which one it was. But the rest, do not fear most people because the 99% of the people who die, uh, but even in trauma, 
I mean, even in trauma, there's a there's a one about a, a boy that um, I don't think I put it in the book. I'm not sure. He was in South Africa. He was a his father was a South African lawyer, and the boy was killed in a car crash. And the boy came just immediately, and the boy came back the very same night to sit in the back of the father's car. And the father was an atheist. And there's a wonderful book. It's called On the Death of My Son by Jasper Swain. And that boy was killed traumatically. And he said, my soul was taken out my body before it crashed. I felt nothing. So once again, we've got this dichotomy of different things happening to different people. But I rather suspect that this boy was quite a special boy. And there is an old saying that only the good die young. And, you know, I think there's something in it. A lot of people who die young or prematurely, you'll probably find they're the loveliest people you've ever met. And it's just their time on earth. And they go back home to that joyous place, you know, of being in the next consciousness. And you've written three books about this, Tricia. You've I written have. Things You Can Do When You're Dead, More Things You Can Do When You're Dead, What Can You Truly Believe? And your third book, It's Life and Death, But Not As You Know It, From yes. the Unbelievable to the Bizarre. Oh, there's, there's some bizarre, but it's true in it as well. It's but I just find it also exciting. And it's just, I mean, I am nobody's fool, hopefully. And there's such a variety of phenomena. So mediums, don't limit yourself to just mediumship. Read a little bit about the background of thing, things that were done, experiments. I, I'm not talking about boring ones here. I'm talking about, the, for example, Leslie Flint had it's cotton wool stuffed in his mouth and elastoplast put over his mouth. And he had on headphones and blinded, you know, so on. And yet still the voices came, that kind of thing. But more interesting than that, and of course, all the testing that was done and the likes of Judy Geller. Now, Yuri Geller's not a medium, of course, but he definitely can do psychokinesis. He def- I've seen him. I've seen him do the spoons as closely as, as I well, I as I am to you in this computer. That's true. Absolutely. He definitely can. And what the skeptics want to say is always he, he's got something on the on the, the, the edge of the spoon, so the, the bowl falls down the way. No, it doesn't. When Yuri Geller rubs the spoon, the bowl bends up the way. It doesn't fall off at all. It keeps going up. It doesn't fall. So you've got to beware of skeptics, beware of false information and stand by your own truth. But make sure that if you're giving evidence, it is evidence and not just generalities. Yeah, I think that's such brilliant advice. And I love your concrete uh, requirement for evidence, evidence, evidence. Absolutely. Trisha, I don't want to keep you because I know you're very short of time. But I wonder if you could just explain to us very quickly what a poltergeist is. I know that you've said a poltergeist is not a thing, it's an activity and that no two cases are the same and sometimes it comes from the subconscious of a human being, uh, most coming from maybe a, a stress or a negative emotion within a person and it's sort of an external expression of your unhappiness. I wonder if you could say a little bit about it. You've actually started a whole kind of worms. It, that oh, would require I don't want to keep you. That would require another hour's programming, poltergeist, because there's no one answer. There's there's poltergeist activity can come from spirit world. You see, some people would some people would call the one I told you about the mother coming in and moving the vase. Some people would call that poltergeist activity. And well, you if you want to call it that word, that's fine. And in a way, it is poltergeist activity because it's movement that you can't explain. 
But poltergeist activity can also be caused by the living agent, the person here. But seriously, that's another hour's worth on poltergeist. Yeah. yeah. I've heard you speak about it saying it yeah. could come from the subconscious of the human being. Yep. It could be just... Um, can come from spirit world too. It can do. But there's once again context there's just so much you can't you you can't you see this is a trouble you can't say when does it when does an apparition would become a poltergeist activity you know and then we've not even touched on near-death experience or out-of-body experiences not even touched on them or healing spiritual healing i've got i did a five-year study on the psychic surgeons for example just so much so here's the thing. You've explained all this in your three books. So this is what we need to do. We need to go and buy your beautiful books full of knowledge, full of all of these different case studies and things that you've discovered and researched thoroughly. Where can people buy these books, Trisha? Amazon. Amazon. You can get it. You can order them in any bookshop, but happens Amazon or book depository is the easiest. Wonderful. Trisha, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing all of that with our listenership. Um, we're all so Well, I hope they enjoyed it. Once again, Trisha, it's been lovely talking to you. Thank you. I look forward to seeing you again then, Anne. Trisha Robertson there, everybody, an amazing woman working in psychical research. I do urge you to buy her incredible books filled with factual evidence on cases she has worked on. Show notes for this episode are available on my website, anteato.com, and they contain all the URLs and links so you can easily locate Trisha, her website and her books, plus look up anything referenced in this episode, such as more information on Maurice Gross or maybe Gordon Smith. So if you have enjoyed this episode or any of my episodes, I'd be so grateful to you if you'd go to Apple Podcasts and leave a written review because they really do help elevate the podcast up those podcast charts. And you can actually write more than one review. So if you've already left one, please do consider writing a second. And, you know, we got to number two in the podcast charts in Slovenia. So that was really, really brilliant. And this is my third year hosting Psychic Matters. So I'm aiming for a number one slot in the charts. And your podcast review could just help to make that happen. That's all for this week. Thank you again to my wonderful guest, Trisha Robertson, for sharing her experiences with us all. And when you think about it, what do we really know about paranormal research? We've heard of it maybe in the past. We've now listened to Trisha's episode. But as she said, don't limit yourself. Read a little bit about the background of things. And what better place to start than with one of Trisha's books? My name is Anne Teato, and thank you for listening to Psychic Matters. <laughs>